Hey, everyone. Welcome to Bible and Breakfast. I'm really excited to have Nate Chatfield with us today. Uh, Nate is an assistant coach at Lipscomb for their women's soccer team. Uh, me and him have kind of been on this coaching journey together ever since we uh, went to college together. And we've we've shared some of the same experiences, some of the same uh, hurdles. So, Nate, really excited to have you on the show with us today. Yeah, man. I'm to be here. Thanks so much for the invitation. You got it. So, Usually on our, our episodes, we love to talk a little bit about God and, and what God's doing in our hearts, what he's challenging us with. And I know, yeah. you know, you always have some unique experiences, but what's God been mm. been working with you on? Oh, man. Um, great question. Um, a lot, I would say. Um, <laughs> I think like most people, that are people of faith, 2020 has been kind of a wild year. I mean, started with uh, uh, with pandemic and it's just been kind of up and down and and it's been up and down in so many ways, uh, whether it be, um, you know, finances or in the coaching world. Obviously, everything was thrown way off. Um, you feel political unrest everywhere around us. I mean, everyone just feels anxious. Um, so what I think God's been teaching me is this man, my, our identity is not found in, in anything other than Jesus. Um, and while all these other things matter, I mean, I'm obviously you and I are very competitive people. We want to win games. We want to coach. We want to, you know, our our families to be, you know, in great financial positions. We want, you know, political peace and everything to be awesome. We have to understand that, you know, at the end of the day, God's on his throne. He's in control. And if I'm finding my identity in anything other than him, uh, I'm setting myself up for not just disappointment, but for, for some real heartbreak. Um, if we're setting our hope in anything that can be taken away, we will be disappointed. But uh, during this time of you know, just upheaval and just kind of, you know, craziness all around us. It's just awesome to know that we have that rock uh, that we can fall back on. And, and he's never changing the same yesterday, today and forever. Uh, so it's such such an awesome promise to be able to cling to during a time um, where everything seems to be in flux. Yeah, no doubt, man. You talked about, you know, identity. And I, I think that's such a, a key thing to talk about right now, and especially in the coaching world. And there's a lot of yeah. people who listen to this are coaches and a lot of them have gone through the same things we've gone through, but when you yep. were, you know, trying to find that next opportunity, that next job, I know for myself, like as a coach, sometimes, you know, you, you do feel your identity is as a coach and it's, mm -hmm. uh, you know, a wrestling match sometimes to, to make sure you understand who your true identity is in. But can you talk a little yeah. bit about that? Like your identity as a coach and have you ever wrestled with, you know, that yeah, absolutely. Um, I was having a conversation with someone, um, this was a couple of years ago now, and she was really going through a hard time. And there was situations in her life where she was just stressed out to the max. And I said, let me ask you a question. If you could define yourself in one sentence, how would you define yourself? And she, she basically said, um, she just described a family relationship and she was talking about her kids. And she said, I, I am the mother to these children. And I'm like, okay, then you will be disappointed. If we, if we define ourselves, if our identity is anything other than a servant of God, a servant of Christ, you're going to face problems. Um, so primarily, I don't look at myself as a coach, even though that's what I'm currently doing. Um, I view myself as a servant of God, a servant of Christ. And I want to serve him to the best of my ability in whatever I find myself doing. Now, I'm passionate about coaching. I absolutely love coaching. Um, the ability to invest in young people and to see them grow and mature and prepare them for life, both 
academically and, and spiritually, more importantly, for me is a tremendous blessing. But at the end of the day, whatever, whatever God leads me into, I'm going to try to glorify him in it. So um, I, I'm not planning to leave coaching. I absolutely um, love it and am blessed to do what I do uh, day in and day out. But at the end of the day, I, I don't view myself as a coach. I, I'm a servant of God. And as long as I keep that mindset, um, I think that um, God will he, he'll bless and he'll continue to guide. Now, if I if I view my my relationship with my wife as, oh, I, I have to I have to just love my wife really, really well. Well, yeah, that's that's true. Absolutely. No doubt about it. But more importantly, if I'm loving God the way I'm supposed to love God, then I will by default love my wife the way I'm supposed to love my wife. And if I get those priorities out of order, then you start to run into problems. So that's been something that God had to teach me because for a long time, I, I viewed myself as a coach and like, you know, uh, what are people going to think of me? I'm coaching here, doing this, doing that. And at the end of the day, I had to come to grips with that doesn't matter. I need to be faithful where I am, be the best where I am. You're, you're kind of in a, a unique, unique situation where, you know, you coach women's soccer. You're around mm -hmm. 24, 25 girls every day. You come mm -hmm. home, you have a wife and four girls. You're surrounded by girls 24 seven. I'm kind of curious because I know, you know, I have two daughters, but I coach males. So when you're around mm -hmm. girls all day and you're coaching them, how does that help you become a better father? And how does, you know, being around your family help you be a better coach when it comes to that? Just kind of want to hear the, you know, the comparison and how that all works together. Sure. First of all, I need a dog because I'm surrounded by women all the time. I need a dog. As soon as we, we get into a new house soon, hopefully I'll be getting a dog. I don't tell my wife that, but hopefully we'll be getting a dog soon. Uh, no, that's a that's a great question. And if I'm being honest, uh, when I first got into coaching, I, I didn't see myself coaching women. I just, you know, played, you know, men's sports growing up, uh, played basketball and soccer in college. So I just kind of assumed that as I moved in my coaching career that I would coach men. But um the way the Lord kind of orchestrated, um, ended up coaching women and, you know, it, it's been great. Um, so how my family prepares me to, to work with women, um, it's been a, it's been a tremendous blessing if I can be honest with you. Um, you know, at the end of the day, coaching is coaching and you need to, you need to understand the people that you're coaching and you, know, you treat everyone fairly. You don't treat everyone the same though. I mean, even, even inside the women's game, um, there are all different kinds of personalities and you have to understand the players. You have to understand how to, how to connect with them. Um, and that's probably what I've learned the most um, being a, uh, being a dad to four girls and then coaching women um, as a vocation. It's just the, the ability to connect um, with, with girls is, is something they're more open to than guys. If I can be honest with you um, guys, typically we, you know, we want to stay a little bit more guarded, um, typically have a little bit more pride and sometimes that's good. Sometimes that's bad. But in terms of the relationship building and seeing people really grow, it seems like the, uh, the, the ladies typically um, they desire that relationship just a little bit more. So it really opens doors to, to invest in people's lives and to, and to see them grow. Um, and something I'm learning more and more every day, even with my, my four daughters, um, they are four very different young ladies, um, four different personality types, four different ways that I have to connect with them. I can't treat my oldest daughter, Eliana, the way that I treat my second daughter, Chloe. I mean, they're just completely different people. Eliana wants straight 
straightforward information. She doesn't need me to beat around the bush. She just wants me to tell her how it is. And I'm like, okay, Chloe, she's not like that. She's a little bit more sensitive and you need to give her some ice cream or something before we're about to have a, a tough conversation. You know, you just have to, has to be more, uh, more relational in how I approach my conversations with Chloe. Um, and, and having those conversations with, with them each day kind of prepares me to, uh, to work with girls at the college level because you can't have the same types of conversations with, with certain girls. They're just, they're not in that, they're not in that place. You just need to know how to connect with, with all different types of people. And I think that's one of the, one of the skills that the best coaches have is they have the ability to connect with people. Um, and that's really what, it, what it's all about. If you're coaching for a, for a higher calling, the ability to connect with people is absolutely essential. You made the jump from, you know, you were coaching high school and then you made the jump to the college level, you know, not even just a smaller college level, but division one. What mm. was the biggest, the biggest difference that you found coaching high school to college? Oh man, another great question. There's, there's a lot of differences, uh, obviously. Uh, one of the similarities is they're just people, right? I mean, we're, we're working with, with young people that need to be invested in and need to grow. Um, the biggest difference I would say is probably the commitment level. Um, when you're working with high school athletes, you're investing in people, um, but at the end of the day, uh, they're getting picked up from practice by their parents and they're, they're heading home and they got a lot going on in their lives and very, very few, if any of them are planning to play uh, college sports or sports at the next level. So my expectations of them while, while I demanded excellence was just different. Um, I could not place a level of expectation on them that uh, that was that was too high. Um, they viewed this as a way to, a lot of them viewed it as a way to just to be with their friends and you know stay active, stay in shape and, and have fun. They love the community aspect of it. Um, at the at the collegiate level, the the expectation is, we are here to compete. And and now as, as a coach, like you hate to say it this way, Andrew, but I think you, you feel the same tension. Our livelihood kind of depends on us performing well. Um, now we, we want to build relationships, but in my job description, it doesn't say anything about mentoring. doesn't say anything about building strong, lasting relationships and continued correspondence with your players as they graduate. I mean, no, I mean, kind of the expectation is that we're going to win some games and win some championships or at least be challenging. If we were to go 0-20 this next year, I don't know how long I'd have a job. So the uh, the expectation of the collegiate athletes is that they are committed. And, you know, in, in most cases, we make a financial commitment to them to help, you know, help finance their education. So there's a little bit of that exchange where, hey, uh, we're going to work really, really hard. We're going to train most days, obviously the, you know, the practice seasons kind of go in and out, hours restrictions and so on. Um, but the expectation is that we are going to work incredibly hard and work year round. In high school, uh, at least the high school where I was, um, it was a smaller high school, three, 400 kids. Um, most of the good athletes played soccer in the fall, basketball in the winter and baseball or golf in the spring. And that was just kind of the rotation They went through all three. And so when you pick up in season or in your preseason, a lot of these kids hadn't touched a soccer ball in six months. They were playing basketball, baseball, um, whereas here at the college level, we train year round. Um, they're, they're off during the summers a little bit, but they have workout programs and they'll be ready to go. But we train year round. So definitely, I would say the commitment level uh, was the biggest adjustment um, going from from high school to college in a good way, in a good way. Yeah. Yeah, no doubt. I think that, you know, even just as you work with players and the players make that jump from high school to college, that's that's probably the biggest thing that they need to get used to is, man, mm -hmm. this is 
you know, I don't want to say a full-time job, but it, it's, it's close to a full-time job when you have it is. The, the, the weightlifting, the conditioning, the practice, your schoolwork, your training table, you know, taking care of your body. And it's just one thing after another. And just that mentality to, to shift and, and do that is crazy. And I think as a coach, yeah. you know, you have, you have to understand that. And, um, but no, I think that's a great perspective because I know there's a lot of coaches who make that jump from high school to college and, when you made that jump too, I think a lot of people probably don't know this, but you came to Lipscomb without a paid position. You were a volunteer mm-hmm. and, yep. you know, you tell me a little bit, why did, why did you make that jump and, and kind of how did you handle that mentally? And, you know, mm-hmm. cause there's a lot of, a lot of people who are volunteers, managers, GAs who are kind of wanting to be a coach. They want to have mm-hmm. a full-time coaching position, but I'm um, just trying to figure out how to make it work. So can you just talk a little bit about yeah. that part of your journey? Oh man, such a great question. And uh, I think coming out of college in your early twenties, early mid twenties, if I can be honest, I, you probably weren't like this, but I was like this. I was just stupid and kind of naive to how the world worked. Um, I'd worked hard my whole life. I had a job since I was twelve, delivering papers and doing different things. Worked at a golf course. So I worked a lot. And so when I got out of college, I'm like, oh, there'll be there are going to be colleges lining up to hire me. This is going to be amazing. I'm just going to waltz in before I know it. I'm going to be working at <laughs> University of North Carolina with Anson Dorrance. And I'm like, oh, this is going to be amazing. And that's just not how it works. Um, I was expecting things to move quickly and they didn't. I think the uh, disappointment is always uh, the connection between expectation and reality. Um, and so I was at the beginning, I was like, man, this is... Um, this is going to be a little bit trickier. And I, when I started doing my master's degree, um, I took a, a specific soccer coaching course, which which was awesome. And the instructor was a division one soccer coach out of California. And he said, you know, if you, have, if you all have any questions, you want to connect, you know, here's my cell phone number. Let's connect. So I'm like, oh, yeah, absolutely. I'll connect. And so I, uh, I called him. We had a little interview and I said, if I want to make the jump to the division one level, what is the route to go? He goes, well, nine times out of 10, you're going to start as a volunteer as in an unpaid position. And I was like, okay. At that point, um, I had a full-time job. I was coaching high school and uh, I had two kids. I'm like, well, my goodness, how do I do, how do I do this? Like, how do I, you know, provide for my family, which for me is, you know, is the, the bedrock of my responsibilities. I mean, I have to provide for, for my wife or for my family. Um, I can't do that. So I had looked at, I had two division one, um, job opportunities at that point. And I was like, oh man, I just, I don't know if I can do this because they were both volunteer positions, but I had to come to a point and, and decide, well, if I'm going to do this, um, I'm going to need to take the plunge and just um, have some faith that God will provide uh, while not being foolish. I mean, there, the, you have to be careful. I mean, there's a, there's a fine line between faith and foolishness. And uh, thankfully, uh, and I think uh, Andrew would, you and I were in similar boats, um, our wives came into a stream of income that wasn't really expected, and it's been a tremendous blessing. Um, and so when I was contacted by Lipscomb, um, that stream of income was still kind of in its infancy, but we saw the potential for it to grow. Um, and so we just we prayed about it and prayed about it. I don't know if I ever labored over a decision so much, but at the end of the day, my wife and I felt like this was something that God had put in our way. And we're like, all right, let's go for it. So I jumped in as a as a as a volunteer, and I actually 
um, yeah, was not getting, was not getting paid. Um, and I, I had to deal with that a little bit as a man, if I can be honest, when your wife is the one that is kind of providing for the majority of the, the financial burden of the family, that was, you know, that was tough. Um, and I really, she and I had to have these conversations where, Hey, this is going to be a couple of years of investment. It's kind of like having an unpaid internship, but this internship potentially is going to lead to something that could be really, really good. Um, so we had to work through that. And it, it was a battle mentally for me to say, you know what? Okay, yep, there's no paycheck coming in for me at the end of each month or every two weeks, um, but I'm gonna keep investing in myself, keep growing, keep being the best I can be. Um, and hopefully God will open doors for for full-time employment. And, and thankfully he He has done that. And we're very, very thankful for it. And I know you, you kind of jumped into doing something over the quarantine period earlier this year with the John mm-hmm. Maxwell team. And I know you kind of yeah. went through that process with John Maxwell, who obviously is one of the, the greatest leaders, greatest mentors mm-hmm. out there for, you know, coaches, business people, anyone. But can you talk a little bit about your experience and, and what you, some things maybe you've learned and, and how you feel mm-hmm. that's impacting you as a coach? Yeah. Oh, I, I really, I, I can't overemphasize how awesome it's been. Um, but I think you I think you'd agree with me here too, Andrew, when you get into a season of growth, the, the last thing you want to do is stop. Like stopping is, it's just, it's like, no, I, I, I can't stop. Um, so when quarantine hit, I had been, you know, I'd been investing a lot in myself, coaching courses and everything. And when COVID hit, all of a sudden it's like, nothing is happening. And I was going stir crazy in the house. So I started talking to my wife. I'm like, okay, how can we get better during this time? So we're reading books and we're studying and, you know, trying to watch documentaries, not just, you know, reruns of The Office or whatever, trying to, you know, get better at whatever we were doing. And I knew that I wanted to become just, I want to become a better man, a better husband, a better father, a better coach. Um, and so I started looking um, into ways where I could invest in myself. And I had heard about the John Maxwell team. Obviously, John Maxwell was very well respected. I'd read many of his books, but I didn't realize that he actually had um, certified speakers that could be trained under him and, and then use his material to to build more leaders. So I started looking at it. Um, I knew a couple of people that were doing it. There's a, a friend of mine who's a division one coach um, and she had recently joined the team and was, you know, really saying its praises. And I'm like, okay, well, let me look into it. Um, so Tiffany and I talked about it for a couple of months because you know, there was a, you know, it was an investment both of time and finances that to do all the training. Um, but I jumped in with both feet and really just had, you know, if you're looking at the glass half full, I had plenty of time because we couldn't recruit, we couldn't train, we couldn't do anything. Um, my wife and the kids had, had gone to stay with some family. So I was here in Nashville and I just really, you know, dove into it head first, trying to, uh, trying to, to grow myself. And it has been, it's been so awesome to see how, when I, when I jumped into it, I was kind of hoping for, um, to be trained in the ability to, to help other people. I'm like, okay, I want to help other people grow. And what I learned was right off the bat, you can't help people grow unless you are growing yourself. So one thing John Maxwell talks about a lot is your leadership lid. So if you're growing your leadership and your leadership lid is right here, you can only help people grow to the point where your lid ends. And so with the John Maxwell team, you've expanded that lid. And now my lid's here and I feel like I can help people grow to this level now. And hopefully, I mean, that lid will keep growing and growing. Um, and the more I continue to invest in myself and the more I am a lifelong learner, uh, the more capacity I will have to help people uh, reach their potential as well. Yeah, it's so good, man. I, I always enjoy, you know, hearing the things you've been learning because a lot of times mm-hmm. the things you've been learning are things that I need to learn. And you're always mm-hmm. so good at communicating those to me. And I always enjoy our time together, that. Nate. 
Oh, it's so true. But appreciate you taking time to uh, talk with us today and um, hope you uh, enjoy. You guys got your season moved to the spring. So hope you guys keep working yep. hard and, and uh, your season goes off without a hitch, man. I appreciate that, brother. Again, thanks so much for the invitation. This was a lot of fun.